week. Another week, man. Absolutely. It's, it's raining outside. It's kind of ugly, but we made it. We made it. We made it. Uh, absolutely. And on this episode, the conversation at hand for later in the show is student loans that magically disappeared and what to do when you still have to pay them. <laughs> uh, so very interesting story that we'll get into. Some people just magically had their student loans go poof and they were gone. So... I, it was almost like a blessing. Oh, that's more than a blessing. That's, that's more than a blessing. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but we'll talk talk about that in a bit. Uh, but first, before we get into that, uh, we had a really hilarious show last episode um, covering social media stars and careers in social media. And immediately, I don't know if this is one of those situations where your attention goes to the thing that you just recently talked about, but both you and I came across something that was absurd and ridiculous and directly tied to the notion of people pursuing careers and social media. Uh, first was a tweet that I saw by Forbes. It was like a four minute video. And it was, uh, they basically profiled a sleepaway camp for becoming a social media influencer. Right. So it was like a $2,400 sleepaway camp for like 10 days. And it's a camp that covers social media and teaches high school kids to become a social media star. It teaches film, lighting, and it's 10 days long, like I said. So, like, this whole notion of becoming a star through Instagram is now, like, happening. Or maybe we weren't aware of it before. So, the, I mean, worse than that, the thing that jumped out to me and the reason I sent it to you is because I looked at it and saw that parents were paying to send their kids to this thing. <laughs> and there's one girl that's running this thing that's, uh, like... She looked like a swindler. <laughs> she looked like a swindler. I was like, she on the Well, she was, like, 20-something, uh, right? And she's, like, very, like, passionate about all these great things that she's teaching these kids how to do to become you know, the next social media phenomenon. Right. And it's all basic stuff that you learn if you actually take the time to read, like, the how-to guide right. that goes along with downloading the app. <laughs> so it was just, like, amazing to me that, like... Point your camera correctly. I understand that kids are kids, right? right. And so they probably don't know, like... They don't care as much about the $2,500 or whatever the course costs. But the right. parents should have been like, I'm not paying $2,500. Like, like, oh, my God. Yeah, and then you just saw a story recently, like, two minutes ago, and you sent it to me. I just saw the headline. What what, what, what was it? So I'm in my office getting ready to, to leave to come here to do this show, and I'm listening to ESPN Radio, and they're talking about this guy who just gave up his, as of yesterday, he was a full-ride scholarship student-athlete at University of Central Florida, right? And so they gave him an ultimatum and said, we need you to stop making YouTube videos that feature you as a college athlete because you have one of those YouTube pages that pays. Oh, okay. And so, so you right. can't get paid for your likeness as a college athlete. Right. So we're either going to have to make you ineligible to compete right. or you're going to have to give up the YouTube video, right. specifically the ones that pertain to you being a football player. Right. He said, I'm going to go be a YouTube sensation. <laughs> now, here's the reason I was so irate about this. University of Central Florida costs about $30,000 a year. Uh -huh, this guy's getting a full ride scholarship right. to go to University of Central Florida to play football. Uh -huh. Now, only about 25 players on the team are going to get a full ride scholarship. Right, because not everybody, not everybody is on scholarship on the team. Some right, so out of 60 something players that are active at any time to play on Saturday, mm -hmm. 25 of them have a full ride scholarship to play football. Which is not a lot. Which is not a lot at all. Right. And you are the lowest man on the depth chart <laughs> as the kicker. 
And so for them to think that you're worth spending a scholarship on. You practice by yourself. Right. You Like, you're never going to get CTE. Right. You're never going to break. You're not risking life. or You might risk your foot. Like, right. that's the most at-risk thing that's ever going to happen to you being a kicker. And you probably, if you're good enough to get a full-ride scholarship to be right. a kicker, you're probably going to the NFL right, to be a kicker. <laughs> and this dude is giving up that opportunity right. for the couple of hundreds of dollars that trickle in from his YouTube page. Mm. So so here's the biggest question. Did you see how many subscribers he had on YouTube? Or did it say in the story? It said in the story that he had about a thousand YouTube subscribers and he picked up about a hundred more since this story came out. That ain't enough. So, <laughs> right. So, like, and they said, so, uh, dude, don't get me wrong. I'm one of the most, like, hard-headed, obstinate, uh, my way or the highway kind of people walking this earth, right? Uh -huh. But there's something to be said for stay down till you come up, which means <laughs> do it the way they tell you to do it until you get to a point where you can stand on your own too right. and you call the shots. <laughs> you ain't there. Like, you're getting a full ride, a free education. Uh, and I know usually football players make the argument, it's not a free education, I'm risking life on them and I'm putting right. my life and my body on the line. Not this case. <laughs> this dude is a freaking kicker. Like, and he gave up his opportunity to be a multi-millionaire uh -huh. in two or three years because he's right. a sophomore in college so okay. two or three years from now he's going to the draft and even if he's mr irrelevant all the way at the back end of the draft he's still gonna make half a million dollars to go kick a football through two brackets <laughs> right like that's far more money than any of his peers at 23 24 years old coming out of college with the same education is gonna make and if for some reason he doesn't make it to the nfl he's got a education for free right i don't understand but that <laughs> makes the whole case i was making last week where y'all told me i was an old man and i was a stick in the mud and all kind of stuff because uh, i said these people younger than us their brains are getting rotted <laughs> by social media and this pursuit of careers outside of going to school and being a doctor and a lawyer and whatever else is this is case in point this is this is a perfect case in point this is um, like perfect because i don't know that i can really get with that decision making um but that was an excellent rant there old man yeah, I, 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 I went completely old man out of left field with that that old man Etheridge. <laughs> um, old man Etheridge. Uh, but anyway, you're listening and watching Manager Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm. Uh, of course, as we do every week, it is now time for headlines. Um, the headline that we pulled for this week is an interesting one. Um, how millennials can explain their non-traditional jobs to people who don't get it. Um, this was actually a Forbes piece by Diana Crandall, which explored the increasing trend of millennials having to explain non-traditional career goals. So kind of like we just talked about, old boy wants to pursue being a YouTube star, which is definitely not traditional. Um, but having to explain that not only to parents, but also to professional people. Um, so things like writing a book, pursuing higher education, driving Uber, blogging, and any number of combinations of things that people do are increasingly becoming a part of millennial professional profiles. The story explores how to better convey the various mixes of interest and professional pursuits. Um, Simon Sinek, who's a best-selling author of the book Start With Why and Leaders Eat Last, uh, was actually quoted in the piece saying, millennials need to learn to talk about their passion and provide context for why they're passion and passionate about something or their chosen industry to, to help fulfill whatever long-term vision they have for the world and I included themselves. Um, 
So it's interesting because uh, Crandall, who actually wrote the piece, uh, said that it's difficult for millenni- the millennial generation to choose a specific passion, in part because we have so much like in front of us all the time, right? Um, but they want to develop because of the factors like the internet, student loans, the global recession, and how everything from dating to what you buy to how you work has changed, and it makes it harder for older folks to find context for it all. So this is kind of like, kind of like an interesting phenomenon again where access to everything makes it difficult to focus on anything so especially so like have you ever tried to explain what uber is to an older person not not in a while but i I just imagine so so you know how difficult it can be to contextualize ride sharing if you're a person who like that never existed in your lifetime. Sure, I mean it's a tax. So then try explaining how you make money from ride share <laughs> to an older person, right? Like I that so. then sounds like even cra- and the only thing you can say is, "So you're a taxi driver?" Yeah. Like, no, not quite, because you know maybe. T- and then by the time you finish with that back and forth, you go, "Fine, I'm a taxi driver." Right. Yeah. That's essentially what we're like. Explain blogging to you know somebody right, right, where they're right, like, right, "Oh, well, right. what paper do you write for?" Well, myself. <laughs> well, how do you? What do you? Mm-hmm. You know, so I can imagine that back and forth has to be extremely complicated right to, so i would just not even bother right just, and this particular story actually focused on explaining those kinds of things or those mixes of things that people spend their time on to relatives in particular because mm-hmm. relatives are always the ones who are like skeptical of what you're doing like old boy who you think so turn, yeah i mean i can't imagine what his parents are saying the guy uh who is turning down his scholarship to go be a YouTube star. Like. Uh, let's not go back there. <laughs> but uh, that's like a perfect example of somebody not really, he, he might not necessarily know how to explain that decision to his old aunt. Or to See, his, I would like, think uncle. your relatives should just be of the opinion, like, as long as you're not selling drugs, <laughs> I, 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 is it legal, baby? Right. Just do it. If, if it makes you happy right. and I'm not going to see you on cops, then <laughs> do what you do. Right. And I, I mean, that, that's real, too. Um, but also the 2015 piece, a 2015 piece in The Atlantic by Jillian B. White reviewed an Allstate National Journal Heartland Monitor poll, which analyzed the perspective of boomers, Gen Xers and millennials on certain work related questions. When asked about their primary concern when it comes to jobs, 64% of older respondents said making as much money as possible or learning new skills was most important. 57% of younger respondents found making a difference or doing enjoyable work was most important. So that's like two different things. That's another one of those like millennial stereotypes. Um, Apparently it's not a stereotype though. Right, according to this poll. Um, And then one third of the younger respondents in the poll found owning a business to be an optimal employment scenario. Um, and of course, all of this in my mind, as I was writing the show, shows like a greater variance in how millennials are thinking about career. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more fluid and it's, it doesn't like stick to one track. Like I'm an accountant, so I'm going to be an accountant for the next 40 years. Yeah. It's something where it can kind of move back and forth between things. Um, I, I'm with that. I mean, like even I personally, as the old man millennial, uh-huh. have like 10 different things that I would like to get done before sure. it's all said and done. Sure. And at the same time, like I have it in my mind that I want to retire somewhere around 50. Right. So I mean, I got like 20 years right. to do 10 different things that right. are all in different directions of each other. Right. So, you know, I, I completely can concur with that one at least i think the thing that i connected with most uh personally because i can I, I have like personal experience with this is not so much the family part like i agree with you family should be you know the people who support you most and kind of like you said if you're not selling drugs on the corner then you know more power to you yeah 
I think the thing that is difficult, especially for millennials, especially millennials who are just getting out in the workforce, is contextualizing random professional experiences to help potential jobs or employers understand their value. Okay. So let me see if I can explain this. Let's say if you're like, I once taught a class at a college, um, and then I also once was a manager assistant manager at a sunglass hut Mm -hmm. and i also once waited tables and so if i'm at the beginning of my career it's really difficult to take that information and put it in a way that makes sense for somebody who's saying why do you want to come be employed as a you know in my world communications coordinator at this place um and so it's interesting that i think my own experiences was is that it's dif- difficult sometimes to create that story and if you have all these other different things going on creating that story can be difficult so is it not then just incumbent upon you to use general generic enough language that everybody could understand what that means so like where you're talking about teaching a class even if you teach it online on some app-based platform that just exists for the last 18 months right if you just use the term adjunct professor, everybody knows what that means. That's true. You know what I mean? So if you just speak to everybody in language that's broad enough that you don't have to worry about losing your audience, right. then you know that, you know, I gave you a frame of reference. If you don't get it from there, then, right. you know, we just weren't going to have a conversation. Absolutely. And I think that's really important. Uh, we have a couple pointers for that in particular. Um, a couple that we just came up with. Um, understand and refine your message. So kind of what Malcolm just said, refining, using language that people understand. Um, and then also knowing what you're going to talk about. Um, stick to one or two narratives that would work if you were on the other side of the table. Right. So if you were the person who was hiring, would you hire somebody who seemed like they did five or six different things in the last six months? That's a months? good way to put it. Um, probably not. But if you are if you see somebody across the table who's done one or two things that seem to fit, then if you can tell that story, then that's going to work for That's probably going to work for you. Um, and make sure it's credible and something that that employer, whoever is sitting across from you, would be interested in uh, bringing inside of their organization. I think that's advice for anybody interviewing for a job in general anyway. Mm-hmm. Just be really good at telling your story. Absolutely. Like that goes broadly to if you're applying for a job at Best Buy or right. NASA. Like right. you just have to be <laughs> really good at telling your story. Because to the point we were making... I don't know how many times on this show people's attention spans have narrowed because of like the advent of technology. So as I'm sitting here listening to you talk to me about all these different wonderful things that you do, like my mind might be saying, man, I wonder what they're doing on Facebook. (laughs) So make it interesting and make it quick and get to the point so that I understand what you're talking about because we are in much more of a like immediate gratification kind of world. Absolutely. And I think um, another interesting concept that people should know is also be willing to hold back portions of your story yes. so there might be things you love to do like you love to paint mm-hmm. but it might not have any business in your interview to be an accountant <laughs> right. so you have to be aware enough of the fact that maybe this particular thing does not fit in the context of the discussion that i'm having um and then also of course uh practice 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 yes. you got to practice what you're saying and practice your message um and if you do that with friends and people who care about you and people that you like they can help you say well that doesn't quite sound right i don't think that really was would be a good thing that an employer would want to hear so practice with people who are willing to tell you not like, just in your own head right. but with people who will keep it real uh, but we want to remind people you're listening and watching manager damn money with ben and malcolm we're going to take a really quick music break in a moment um but this episode's conversation at hand 
the student loans that magically disappeared and what to do when you still have to pay them. Um, we're going to explain the story that came out recently. Um, also, we want to remind people to you can always listen to other episodes of Manage Your Damn Money on Apple Podcast or you can find us on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com backslash Manage Your Damn Money. We're always on on the website at www.managerdamnmoney.com. And if you want to send us a question or want us to cover a particular topic, uh, just send us an email at info at managerdamnmoney.com. And we're also now taking music suge- suggestions or submissions, excuse me. Submissions, I guess. Su- submissions, yeah, uh, from our listeners. If you're a musician or you have some kind of musical talent uh, and it's good, we will run it. We recently ran something from uh, one of our listeners recently, and it was a great song. Uh, you can listen to it in the most preview in the episode before this one. Uh, so we're going to take a really quick music break. When we come back, we'll talk about student loans. Manage your damn money with Ben and Malcolm. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is Manager Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm. Uh, we are here back with the conversation at hand for this episode. The student loans that magically disappeared and what to do when you still have to pay them. Uh, you may have heard a bit of ruckus as I did about some outstanding student loans that were magically wiped out. You might have said a prayer in hopes of your student loans <laughs> being eliminated too. Chances are they probably were not. This story being reported almost everywhere where student loans are found in court proceedings to not be collectible only affected about 2,000 people now nationwide. But my very own college classmate, Shannon T, posted on Instagram, and this is how I kind of became aware of it, um, that she truly felt blessed that she looked at her student loan account and realized she was one of the lucky few students, one of the lucky few people who had their student loans wiped out by the court ruling. Uh, Shannon actually posted a picture which inspired this whole show. 
um, of like it was like it was Oprah on stage weeping. <laughs> so <laughs> it was Oprah on stage weeping with her hand out like this, doing the praise hands. Um, and she and Shannon's caption was, "The good law saw fit to bless me this fine morning. This morning I realized all my student loans have been wiped clean, closed, and reflect a zero balance." I have dreamed of this day and it has finally come to fruition. God bless whoever hit that button and deleted all of those. And then she put in an expletive and, it was, <laughs> and the expletive was plural. Um, as paperwork. So, it, so, so did you run to your computer to see if this, I knew that you? didn't, I knew it didn't affect me. Okay. Cause I got my loans with one, one person and it's not a private lender. Um, so we'll get into a little bit of the details of what happened. Um, I've seen the story before, but it didn't really dawn on me that it was important um, until Shannon posted what she posted. And I was like, wait a minute, this affected somebody who I know. That's kind of crazy because normally that's stuff that just kind of goes by and you never see it. It's like your next door neighbor winning a scratch off. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's like, wait a minute, I should have went to the uh, right. I should have went to that same gas station right. that I know she went to. Right. So it's kind of like that. Um, but the story that actually kind of it kind of explains it was reported by the New York Times. It, uh, the headline read, as paperwork goes missing, private student loan debts may be wiped away. Uh, the story centers around the National Collegiate Student Loan Trust, which is a company that holds 800,000 private student loans through about 15 different trusts or like, you know, bodies. Um, and collectively, the company owns about 12 billion of student loan debt. Um, and of that amount, 160,000 private student loans are in default. So these students were originally issued loans by the bank and then subsequently these loans were then packaged and sold through a process called securitization that we'll explain later um, to investors including the national collegiate student loan trust so essentially the student loan trust buys up rights essentially that's a good way to put it rights to these student loans and then it moves from your original loan loaner to them and then they actually collect on it um and then the reason why this came about in a uh you know uh lawsuit National, National Collegiate filed tens of thousands of lawsuits against borrowers for those who are in default, including about 800 this year, mostly in state and local courts in order to collect on the unpaid student loan debt. Um, while the National Collegiate, not National Collegiate Trust has prevailed in many cases, student loan borrowers, borrowers have won other cases when that company could not produce documents supporting the proper chain and title of ownership. So essentially like, I'm trying to figure out where to start in explaining this, <laughs> but essentially these companies come up and buy the loans. Right. I should probably let you try to explain it. Well, I mean, it happens with a lot of stuff. So it's not right. just student loans. It happens with mortgages. It happens with car loans where you right. heard about like the subprime mortgage issue in 2007, 2008, 2009. Right. The subprime car loans that are going into default in 2016, 17. Right. That, same thing. It's It's... Uh, the stock market basically making a bet on people's debt. Who's going to pay back their loans? Right. And Absolutely. so the, the people who buy it, the people who securitize it, basically buy it at a discount, knowing mm -hmm. that a percentage of the folks who take out the loans are going to default on it in the first place. Absolutely. So absolutely. they get, you know, a 15, 20% discount and still say it's worth, you know, me coming in and buying it in today's dollars right. to collect 20, 30, 40 years of interest payments right. from that person because I'm buying it at 80 cents on the dollar. Absolutely. And so essentially, again, the stock market, somebody in the stock market is betting on whether or not you'll be able to pay off your student loans 
And they're also hoping that you'll take the entire time allotted to pay right. it back right. so that they can then collect all of the steep interest payments at double digit numbers that absolutely uh, will rack up in the process. And so what happened in particular with this company, the people and I, I believe because it's interesting, people asked her on, on the post, Shannon, with like where they were like, how did this happen for you? Like, mm-hmm. what, what did you do? And she basically referred people to the story that we pulled. Um, and essentially her loans were with this company. Mm-hmm. So, or had gotten to the point where they were with that company, whether she had them originally with them or it had got bundled up in a package of loans that they became responsible for. Uh, it got moved over there. Now, what can happen... No, first of all, let me ask you this. Is it right or wrong that student loans get bundled up and like passed along? And, or like, what's the what's the... So I feel the same way about student loan debt being securitized as I do people being able to invest in privatized prisons on the stock exchange. Okay. Like it's incentivizing the wrong behaviors. Sure. So I like the fact that, you know, student loans exist. Like Uh students can go to a place, go to a lender and take out uh, dollars today toward their future success basically is what the trade-off is okay but then like for example i was on twitter not too long ago and i saw a story where there's a a privatized prison in like illinois or something that is threatening the state to shut down if the state can't bring them 300 more inmates before the end of the year oh right so what are we incentivizing here we're incentivizing the law enforcement people to go after people who under normal circumstances they would leave well enough alone right but because we have a quota to fill here we go a business this is kind of the same thing with the student loans where now i'm incentivized to make these loans to students that i normally wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole sure but because i need to fill in x amount of more hundreds or thousands of additional loans to fill this package because i got this this guy or this woman out here who's saying to me I'll give you a hundred million dollars for X amount of student loans. Absolutely. So I've now got to come up with a hundred million dollars worth of student loans by right. this deadline to get those dollars from them. Right. I'm now incentivized to do bad things. <laughs> and it, it, it's almost never the students who can afford to take this hit and will right. be fine in the end once it happens. It's the most vulnerable. It's the yes. most vulnerable people who right. are going to be negatively affected by this. Um, when it all comes out in the wash. Right. And that's where I really have a problem with it. You're preying on people who and, don't know any better and can't do any better. And this had a this had in particular to do with uh, private loan companies, which if you can't qualify for a loan through like the federal government, mm-hmm. like through the applying through the FAFSA, then people go to a private loan lender. Um, and these are the kinds of loans that they are. And those have the least amount of flexibility once you step into the payment section mm-hmm. or the payment time of the loan. Um, so they it's have very- the highest interest rates. Right. They have the harshest uh, uh, penalties for you falling behind. Right. They, they're going to be resold 10 times over and that thing is going to follow you to the grave. Absolutely. But if you defer it, for example, they have the right to double what your interest is right. on the spot just for right. you saying, I want to defer it. Right. Things like that are just, you know. So um, it's interesting. Uh, we haven't really gotten into how it happened, but before we get into how it happened, um, are we headed towards another massive financial crisis? It's one point four billion dollars is the collective student loan debt amount in america mm-hmm. are we headed to some kind of similar subprime mortgage disaster like we did with the housing crisis in 2008 you mean like if we all just said collectively we're not paying we're loans. not gonna pay student loans what yes. would that do yeah 
So the problem with that is like the last administration, the Obama administration put a lot of protections in place, like the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, for example, right. in place to help cut down on predatory lending practices and things like this that were really like making people lose their homes, literally. Right. Uh-huh. Um, but now we're in a place where, you know, folks are screaming deregulation, deregulation, deregulation. Right. And it's really dangerous for both. Right. Because to your point, if there's no like actual plan for what happens if 50% of all the people who take out student loans tomorrow default on them, right. then that means that you and I, the taxpayers, are going to have to float that. Absolutely. So now I got to pay my own student loans <laughs> and I got to pay somebody else's? Like, I don't right. have any kids in college. Why right. am I paying student loans? for? So, but that then is, you know, the, the trade-off. That's where right. the burden goes. And so I, I do. I think it, it creates a slippery slope toward something far more dangerous. Right. Um, and then it also makes it even more difficult for folks who would say, I want to go to college after all that happens. Sure. And there's nobody there to lend them money. Right. Think about what happened to the housing market in 2009, 2010. It's still going on now. To folks who said, I want to go buy a house. And banks were saying, well, I just got slapped by the government (laughs) upside the head for $200 million for lending to you in the first place. I'm not doing that again. So now I can't go buy a house for 10 years or whatever it takes for banks. It's same thing with student loans. Like, then students will not be able to go to college to further their education because of the mistakes of the people in front of them. And then they'll just become YouTube stars. Um, so uh, you're <laughs> I listening- hope it works out. <laughs> you're listening and watching Manage Your Damn Money. Um, we're talking about student loans that magically disappeared and what to do when you still have to pay your student loans. Um, we're going to take another quick music break and hear from uh, our in-house producer and co-creator of this show, Mr. Beats by Beeman. You can listen to his music at Beats by Beeman on Instagram. Uh, and you can hear other stuff that he's created. He's a really good music, creative artist person uh, who we <laughs> really appreciate. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to continue talking about these student loans. Uh, you're listening and watching Manage Your Damn Money on ListenVision.com and on Apple Podcasts and on SoundCloud. Uh, we will be right back. disappeared and what to do when you still have to pay them uh so the question that is really at hand that we said we would answer is how could private student loans be wiped out 
Um, as I mentioned, there was a good amount of chatter about this topic, so we thought we'd take the opportunity to explain exactly how this happened, why it's highly unlikely to happen to you, and implore you not to stop paying on your loans in hopes of your fairy godmother making them disappear. <laughs> um, so we actually already had a, a comment on Instagram before the show from Maya, uh, but Maya said, I need to figure out what, how this happened. I need this blessing. And I told Maya, I said, I don't think they are making these blessings anymore. <laughs> uh, so don't put your money on that. Um, but first step, um, the sale of your student loans, which we hit on. Um, so I'm gonna explain it really quickly. Uh, private lenders and even some government lenders overseas make student loans, package them up, and sell them to other companies who can then become responsible for collecting on the debt, also known as, as we mentioned, securitization. So mm -hmm. that, that happened with um, mortgages, that happens with a lot of different kind of financial products. You extend the loan or the thing, and then you bundle it up as an investment and sell it to somebody else to deal with. Right. Um, lenders do this in order to more quickly recoup the money they loaned out, and to reestablish their cash reserve so they can make new loans and do other business. Otherwise, they would just be sitting around waiting for you to pay back your loan in full. And if you didn't do that, then they couldn't have a business anymore. Right. Um, so that's why it's done this way. Um, and then this process is very similar to what was depicted in the movie, The Big Short. Um, lenders bundle up loans and sell them off, transferring ownership of the debt to other companies. If the transfer of these loans is not seamless, and this is where this loss, these lawsuits came into play, um, you can lose paperwork or develop a poor paper trail, creating a scenario where the loans don't necessarily trace directly back to the person who the student loan was given to. So I think a perfect example of this in my mind is, you probably remember this, Malcolm, because you had some student loans. When you went to the financial aid office in college mm -hmm. every year and you had to sign that, do you remember what it was called? The FAFSA? The FAFSA, but after you got your loans, after you were awarded what you were awarded, mm -hmm. you remember? You had to sign the promissory note. Oh, okay. The okay. promissory note. That was the thing that was like, I still have sheets of those somewhere, right? And I imagine the promissory note and associated documents are the things that are like the original documents. Mm -hmm. And those have to get sent back to the original lenders. And then they keep them on file to say that if Malcolm ever tries to contest the fact that he didn't take out these loans, we got his signature right here, right? These lo loan papers or these documents, apparently for the 2,000 people that are affected in Shannon, did not make it all the way through the process uh, okay. and got lost and or couldn't be found or full records couldn't be found such that you couldn't prove that the person actually signed their name on the dotted line. Wow. Something Talk, that simple. Wow. Okay. So I didn't get didn't, that okay. deep into it to okay. know why. I knew, I knew it didn't affect me. Right. <laughs> so I, I have a federal student loan and also Lord willing, I'm on track to have it paid off before this year is over. Oh, so man. I didn't even bother to like, like I have this, so I have this, this is kind of in a different direction a little bit, but uh -huh. I have this recurring dream okay. all the time. <laughs> and it, it drives me crazy. Cause when I'm awake, I know it isn't real, but in the moment it's like the realest thing ever. And I always have this dream that somebody, some innocuous person, I can't make out who it is, gives me money and like puts it on my dresser while I'm asleep. And 
I wake up like in a panic, like scrambling to get to my dresser, like, oh, I'm about to get this bankroll. Uh-huh. And it's not there. And every single, I'm kind of like Charlie Brown with the football. Like, this has been happening to me since I was like a teenager. This is it's silly. so sporadic. I, but I'm dead serious, though. This, is, this is exactly like what I think happened to people who woke up, <laughs> turned on, like got on social media, saw this thing come across their, their, uh-huh. their line, and was like, people getting out of their student loans? <laughs> oh, I'm about to log in real quick and make sure I'm in that in that crew right. and it's not you it's not like, you like I think it was only 2,000 people that it ended up affecting around the country which right. is like I don't even know out of 315 million people what's that percentage uh, very low de minimis whatever <laughs> it is so like that's the exact same thing like right. you got excited got online like oh me 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 right. and thought it was gonna be like Oprah like you get deferment <laughs> you get I mean you get forgiveness you get forgiveness and then like you open right. it up and nah and to be clear this is not loan forgiveness which is something completely different altogether this is literally companies suing people who are in default Mm -hmm. and then when those people go to court because most of the time reading through some of the stories that i read most of the time these companies go to court they file the papers and then people never show up right so they just get whatever judgment they want and then after the fact they can actually go and garnish wages they can go about the process of collecting money through other means not just by you making the payment predatory lending which is yeah absolutely it becomes a form of predatory lending um and so then in the proceedings of the court proceedings of the court um that's when they find or find whether or not they have an original paper trail or original right. trail of ownership. And apparently enough papers went missing for at least 2,000 people to have their loans wiped out. Um, so God bless you all. That's kind of like when you show up to traffic court and right. the cop doesn't show up and, then and you get off. It's literally Man, the- if that's not, <laughs> not the highlight of your month right absolutely. there. Absolutely. I went and he didn't. Um, but the next question that we had was like, how often does this happen? Uh, well, it's interesting because I went and looked it up. And in April of this year, 2017, J.P. Morgan was scheduled to sell $6.9 billion of student loans to Navient. Um, and this is a story I pulled from Bloomberg. Um, and essentially, J.P. Morgan Chase said that they were going to get out of the student loan business and that they were selling off their portfolio of $6.9 billion worth of student loans to a company called Navient Corp. So essentially, uh, the sale included about $3.7 billion in federally guaranteed loans, um, less than half of which were securitized, and about $3.2 billion in whole private education loans. Um, so essentially, uh, whatchamacallit, JP Morgan was saying, we don't want to collect this money. Mm-hmm. You can pay us a fee. And I'm sure the amount of loans on the rolls is probably more than $6.9 billion, Oh, yeah. they get that discount. They took because, a hit for sure. Right. They take the hit, but they get it off the rolls so they don't have to worry about it anymore. And they pass it to Navy Corp. And the Navy Corp., which is a for-profit business, goes about the business of collecting and saying, you owe us money. And then goes through the process of harassing you through phone calls and then probably collections after that. And then in the last stage, actually... Uh, you know, collections court or whatever process that is. But like amazingly, there's money to be made in collections. <clears throat> Absolutely. Like all these companies that like for medical bills and stuff like that or, or auto loans and default. Like there's people out here who build whole businesses yep. around coming after you for those coins. Absolutely. And so they'll like buy up the debt from the hospital or the student loan people or whatever. Right. For like I said, pennies, not pennies, but a reduced amount on the dollar. Right. And they will come after you for five years straight right. and not let up until and knowing that they're only going to get like 75 percent right. of what you owe. But they've tacked on so much in interest charges and fees and for making us come after it, you right. fees and all that along the way. 
you know, their break even is probably like, you know, 25% at that point. Absolutely. Um, another instance of it happening, the government in the United Kingdom, it was a headline actually, the government in the United Kingdom plans to sell off billions worth of pounds in student, student debt to private companies. And this happened in February of 2017. The Independent, which is a UK uh, publication, reported on its government's planning to sell government-held student loans to private companies. Uh, the move was expected to net the UK's Treasury Department 12 billion pounds. So this is an example of an entity saying we don't want to have this on our rolls anymore. We want to mm -hmm. get rid of this. Let's sell it to somebody who can deal with it and we don't have to worry about it anymore. 12 billion pounds. Um, and then in the story it said it was criticized as creating a vulnerable vulnerability for student loan borrowers to become subject to marketization, which is essentially like you being subject to all the things that happen in the market that aren't savory or are not nice. And new interest rates. At new interest rates, which are not in the spirit of allowing people to go to college and having taken out their student loans. Right. Um, I have an interesting story myself. Uh, I had I have two I had two sets of student loans, right? Mm -hmm. One I was able to pay off. It was a small loan that was still like with my school, I think. Okay. Like I was paying back my school directly. Well, that's what I thought I was doing. Because uh, it still had their name like on it. Hampton University was on it. Um, but then like I got a letter that basically explained to me that my loan was being transferred to some other company that had Heartland in it. Okay. And so I got a letter from both my school and I got a letter from Heartland that said, we now have your loan. You could register to pay online here. And so I did all those things, right? But then I realized when I went to pay my loan with the new company, whereas I maybe got charged like a dollar fee to pay my loans with my school, mm -hmm. This company was now charging me a percentage of the amount that I was paying. So if they said they wanted 5% and I was going to pay $100 on my loan, I would have to pay them $5 in credit card charges in char or convenience and just, fees. So or my $100 payment would cost me $105. There you go. And so it was like, wait a minute, this is a hustle. Like y'all are tacking on huge fees. So the the loan was low enough for me to at a particular point pay it all off mm -hmm. um it hurt at the time because it was like a nice little chunk of change but i was like i could just move this one off of my responsibility mm -hmm. and what they charged me in addition to paying off my loan was like criminal yeah it was like 170 ish dollars if i remember correctly i should have looked just to pay it all just to pay it off so you're gonna charge me money to pay you money right you charging me to pay you so it's a, a total hustle um and it's interesting because i once read i don't know if this had to do specifically with student loans but in the way that people bundle and then transfer debt mm -hmm. i once read somewhere or saw in a story somewhere that the transference of loans can be nothing more than an Excel spreadsheet with names, contact info, loan amounts, and social security numbers to collect with. Yes. That's it. Like they just said, here's the spreadsheet, go do your worst. And, and that's why you get the companies that I was talking about that build a company on collecting debt. Absolutely. That will call any and everybody they can find you associated with online. Right. You don't even have to have given them like your brother, sister, mother, uncle, cousins, phone numbers. Right. If they find those people associated with you online, they will call and harass those people. Absolutely. Because there's no real protection right. now uh, as of January 2017. Right. Stopping them from going after you in those predatory ways and harassing your family and, and all that kind of stuff. But I want to go back for two seconds mm -hmm. just to, to drop a random uh, nugget because something you said made me think about it for any loan that you might enter to at any point in life right. it is always important to find out if 
that company charges you prepayment penalties. Okay. So like if you get a car loan and you take out a five year loan, most of the time they should offer you just straight you know, simple interest and you pay right. it off and it's done. Right. But in some occurrences, usually again, people who are at the bottom of the credit scoring scale right. end up getting these kind of, you know, things tacked on. They charge you prepayment penalties right. where if you pay a dollar more than whatever your car note or mortgage or whatever is in that, in that month, they'll charge you a percentage for paying <laughs> extra money. So just be aware and, and, and make sure that you do your due diligence. Just ask that question before you enter into the loan, whether or not this loan comes with prepayment penalties. Right. You should never be getting charged to pay early or ahead of time. Um, but real quick, you're listening and watching Manager Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm. We're talking about uh, student loans and how some people had their student loans disappear. Um, you can, of course, f always follow us online, uh, my social media handle, as well as the show's social media handle, at MYDM1. And Malcolm, what about you? Uh, at Malcolm on money. Absolutely. Um, and we're always on at managerdamnmoney.com. If you have questions or concerns, send it to us and we'll uh, take a look. Um, step two of this process. So first we talked about um, the step one, which is the sale of your student loans, which I don't know if people really knew that. Because um, I feel like that's one of the things that happened in the background that people don't really know and you wouldn't really be conscious of the fact. Um, step two, which is important because um, it, it happened to me. Uh, what do you do if your student loans are sold? If your student loans are sold, both parties, as I said before, will send you a letter notifying you of the sale. Be sure to always open snail mail and email from loan servicers. Um, be sure to register with the new loan servicer and understand their online or paper payment system. Be prepared to resume payment immediately. Also be aware of extra fees that may be added. This is how these companies make their money, as we yeah. said before. Um, and then, so this is the interesting- And dispute those fees. Dispute the fees? Yes. Okay, go Dispute ahead. Tell the, me, tell me just, about that. you know, inquire about them. Ask them why are you being charged for them. Ask them, do you have to pay them? All that kind of stuff. Right. If the answer is yes, then you're in the same place you would have been before you made the five minute phone call. Right. If the answer is no, you just saved yourself however many hundreds of dollars. I did not ask. I, I dispute just... everything. <laughs> I, I, whether I'm in the wrong, in the right, they might have put it into the contract. I don't care. I'm right. going to call and just say, why are you charging me this? That's good. And let them explain it to you. Right. And then ask, do I have to pay this? Right. Do you charge everybody this? And eventually they get frustrated enough to just say, you know what, dude, here's your hundred dollars. <laughs> Beat it. Just ask a bunch of silly questions in a row. Yeah. I mean, really just, you know, be an annoyance enough with your questions that right. they say it would be much easier to just give you your money back right. and move on to the next person right. than to have to continue down this road of questioning. Absolutely. Now, when your loans get sold, um, this is the question that's at hand for a lot of these uh, lawsuits that went and the people who were in default actually won. The question is, do they have your original documentation? Right. Consider, and this is, there's going to be some disclaimers at some point here for the show of Manager Damn Money, um, but consider asking for proof of your original loan documents to ensure the company has done its due diligence in completing transference of your loan as I turn the page, to their roles. Do note, getting this kind of debt excused due to loss of paperwork or poor records would take extensive litigation to have the same thing happen to you. We do not advise here at Manage Your Damn Money, you stop paying loans based solely on loan companies' inability or ability to produce original loan documents. There is still the potential for you to hurt your credit score and for your wages to be garnished 
or for your auntie to be called on the phone <laughs> while at work uh, if you don't pay back your student loans, particularly to um, non-government agencies that are for-profit companies. Um, so that's, you know, that's that's what all these kind of, that, or at least these lawsuits that the New York Times reported on hinged on was paperwork, was whether or not they actually had a responsibility for these loans. Um, and then step three, uh, do not stop paying your student loans due to a transference to another company. Though it may sound tempting to cease paying on your loans because it's been transferred, the reality is, is that if you know you owe it, it would take expensive and time-consuming litigation to have your loans removed from your records. And otherwise, you're still responsible for it. And if you go through all that trouble and don't come out victorious. That's a lot of time and energy and money spent. And like compounded interest on top of you and, absolutely, you know, payments and arrears and all that kind of right, stuff right, too. Right. Um, and remember, failing to pay on your student loans in any case can result in default. There is destruction of your credit score, prevention of your getting home loans or car loans, and even, as we've mentioned in previous episodes, impacting your employment prospects. Refer to our previous episodes about having a good credit score, um, and you will explain more about that. Uh, but it's just really interesting that, you know, there's this whole, like, underbelly of student loans. <laughs> student loans, we think of, like, okay, it's a really laudable, like, kind of goal to go to school and you take out your loans and you finish and you graduate or whatever um but then to have this kind of you know sewer of what happens <laughs> right after the fact uh is pretty interesting um to me. i mean the debt structure in this country is you know well it used to be really simple interesting in general it used to be really simple but the creation of financial products mm-hmm. in many different ways uh, and many different constructs, like even you think of the notion of equity. Right. Equity is not really a thing, and like some people say, well, you got to have equity in your home. I don't know that equity is a thing. Equity is a financial construct. Sure, but so is credit. Yes, it like, is. There's certain countries in this world right now that credit doesn't exist. Right. Like if you don't have the cash to buy it, you don't you don't get it. You don't get it. And then there's other places like in the Middle East where you're required to put down fifty percent wow. on a mortgage to okay. buy a house. Oh wow. Okay. So that tells me how serious you are about buying this house. Right. If you and or your family right. can't come up with fifty percent to put toward, you know, having your own skin in the game. Right. And then if, you know, the market falls, I know you're not gonna run away and leave that house because you didn't have to put anything into it. Right. The United States is like the only place that like or one of the few places where you can literally put no money into this transaction, take out credit to buy the whole thing right. and walk away if it doesn't go your way. <laughs> like, you know, and like some places offer zero percent interest for twelve months. Take right. this couch and, and match and love seat home and like, you know, you see the commercials of people getting whole furniture sets for, right. for, for nothing. Two years worth of deferred interest payments and right. like the United States is the only place where crap like that happens. The funniest thing to that point, uh, I had a classmate in graduate school um, who was from China, and she said, it's interesting. When you guys want to buy things, you put it on credit. But when we buy things, we just buy it with all the money or save till we have it all. <laughs> it like, was like, oh, yeah, what a novel concept. Simple as it is. Right. Absolutely. I, um, I, I've, I'm old to the point that like i try my best mm-hmm. to just use my debit card for whatever i want right and like 
if I if I don't have it, then I can't afford it. That's, <laughs> like literally, that's the way I look at it. Like that's if it. I have to pull out a credit card to buy it, I itch. Absolutely, absolutely. So if I can't just pay for it with cash, then it wasn't meant for me to have it. Absolutely. Uh, we're gonna take a really quick music break, but you're listening and watching Manager Damn Money. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Facebook.com/backslash Manager Damn Money. You could always find Malcolm on social media. At Malcolm on Money. And of course, mine is at MYDM with a one at the end, MYDM1. Uh, you can always listen to past episodes of Manager Damn Money on Apple Podcasts. Just search Manager Damn Money. And remember to leave us a review. Those reviews help us raise in the ratings. And SoundCloud.com backslash Manager Damn Money. Uh, we're going to uh, take a real quick music break here. Another piece from Beats by Beeman. But when we come back, we'll wrap up the show, talk a little bit more about what you can do to manage your student loans if any of this applies to you. Um, uh, we will be right back. Welcome back to Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm, uh, the place where we have entertaining conversations about money rather than being bored with bullet point personal financial <laughs> advice. Um, today we're talking about the magically disappearing student loans. Uh, so we kind of figured out how student loans disappeared this past week um, from that story from the New York Times. Uh, but for those who still have student loan debt, me and me. You still you you'll be done in a minute, so you almost you're almost free, sir. I'm trying. <laughs> um, these are things that you can do to manage your student loan debt, and when you still have it, and you weren't in that two thousand of people who had their loan debt eliminated. Um, of course, number one is stay in touch about your situation and your in income. Over communicate and get all of the options that you have available. Um, also know that federally backed student loans or loans given directly through the U.S. Department of Education. That's what I got. Um, you, those allow you to use forbearance, income-adjusted repayment plans, and then also deferral options for flexibility when maybe like you're out of a job or you're not making enough money. Um, so always take advantage of those things because, especially when you're like fresh out of school from like your 20s to your 30s and you're getting your footing in your career. Um, for me, I know those deferrals and those like income adjustment payment plans were really helpful and really like made me feel like I was being responsible but even though I wasn't making a dent in the amount if that makes any kind of sense yes like I'm I'm not killing my credit score as a result of being irresponsible with this which is usually which is really why we're doing any of this anyway to make sure you have a good credit score um, and then also if you have private student loans and know that if you have private student loans you got a terrible situation I don't have any private loans <laughs> so I'm I at least got that um, but if you do have private student loans, uh, make them a priority in your budget. Um, keep other expenses low to prioritize it. 
And then um, also know that private lenders are way less flex- flexible when like you can't make a payment. Like, but so that stuff that like obviously for us is not going to make that big of a difference now like, okay. at this point. Okay. But that's stuff that like you should be openly sharing with anybody you know who's in high school now. Absolutely. Who's going off to college and is going to have to ultimately make this decision about how they fund that. Right. Like. I can't speak for you, but I had no idea like what all of that that went into it was and what all the differences between the privatized ones and the Fed and blah, 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 blah. Until I already, you know, signed on the dotted line, graduated. And then all of a sudden I get an email like, hey, congratulations. We heard you. uh, We heard you graduated the other day. We're coming for that check. (laughs) Like That's basically how I found out, like what the repayment process and all that was. Like share this information with anybody, you know, who like can benefit from absolutely absolutely um one option i actually had a discussion about this recently um over uh breakfast brunch or whatever um i had a friend who i went to graduate school with and she suggested i refinance my loans Mm -hmm. and i told her girl no i'm gonna hold on to what i got because i have the ability to defer and that's just been really close to my heart in the up and comings of my career and life but also considered deferral increases that so there's interest payment that so there there is a balance and there's like one bad side and there's a good side um but the other side of refinancing with a for-profit company mm-hmm. is you typically can get a lower interest rate which would reduce the compounding happening over time right um and then the last suggestion that we had uh when loans are in groups i know that my loans for uh my company are broken out in like different sections uh pay your whole amount that's due which is spread across all the loans and then pick one group that you pay down more aggressively when you have extra money so if you have group a and that's the one you want to attack just throw extra money on a and a alone and eventually a disappears and then you're just paying b c d and then Mm -hmm. so on and so forth um so make sure you're doing that so those are those are some really good ways to stay on top of your student loans. Do you have any other suggestions, Michael? Um, pray that you're in the next wave of <laughs> folks whose paperwork goes missing. I, like, what prayer do you pray to make that happen? <laughs> like, that's what I want to know. I, I, so I can replicate that and start selling it. I think you got to uh, get like a brush and then splatter some lamb's blood <laughs> across your doorway. <laughs> I think that's how it works. Uh, so anyway, uh, we want to thank everyone for listening and watching Manage Your Damn Money with Ben and Malcolm. Uh, we'll do another show next week and figure out what we're going to talk about, bring to you. Uh, we also want to remind you that we're really excited about our upcoming negotiation summit with the Corporate Alley Cat uh, happening in the beginning August 15th. The early bird price has since gone away, uh, but you can still register. Um, just go to thecorporatealleycat.com backslash negotiate. Um, you can also catch some more clips and written stuff from me on our friends or with our friends Blavity. Uh, some more stuff on personal finances, some stuff we've talked about on the show recently. Um, but until next week, be good with your money. Peace. Peace. Peace.